The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord. The first reading is from the book of Isaiah, um, chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The second reading is from John um, chapter 1, verse 29 through 51. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water and said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. They brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? He said, You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's awesome to be here. I say that really from the bottom of my heart. I mean, I have been praying for you long before you even knew you were you. And uh, Justin is right, as we had time together working construction. And really, um, that I kind of chuckle when I hear Justin say that because my job wasn't really working construction. My job was 
kind of providing things for Justin to fix on the job site. So we would work together and, and, and uh, we, we would have a great time. I remember this, this, this time we were in this house remodeling this, this house for a counseling center. And the person who had hired us had us, we were uh, basically gutting this house and turning it into something else. And so Justin and I were sort of the, the carpenter type people, but then there were other subcontractors that would come in to do things like electrical and, and whatnot. And I remember one day we had a, a, a radio blasting uh, some sort of theological uh, you know, message. And Justin and I were going back and forth about particular issues. And this other subcontractor came in and was like, and then the whole, the rest of the day we were, I mean, we didn't care. Right. And then, then the next day our boss was like, well, that guy thought you guys were pretty uh, unusual uh, carpenters. And we're like, well, amen to that. So to be here with you today, after all of that, you know, years have gone by and, and God has been faithful to, uh, to us and to you and, and grateful to be here, especially in this season of Advent, because Advent is, is a great time of, of waiting and anticipating, isn't it? It's a time of hope. It's a time where we celebrate who God is and what God has done and also what God will do. And of course, during this season, a lot of us have hope and a lot of us have, have love because we're ready for Christmas. And, and many of us in this thing, let's, I mean, even though we're all, you know, righteous, religious people, right? We still think about the things of Christmas, don't we? The presents that we're going to get, the things that are going to happen, you know, and, and we have those longings in our heart for, for different things that we want to have. Maybe your longing is to have your whole family together in a great way with no drama, Maybe, maybe your longing is to, to have a nice, quiet, relaxing time. Or maybe your longing is for something, you know, like a certain Xbox game or something like that. I remember my daughter was four years old, and she had this longing. And, and it was, and I'm going to date myself here, but she was longing for the baby alive. Anybody remember the baby alive? Any moms in the house remember baby alive? Okay, boy, this is a young church. Well, Baby Alive was this, was this baby doll that was awesome. It like cried like a real baby and it, you know, pooped and peed in a real diaper like a real baby. And I don't know why anybody would want that as a toy, but that's what my daughter at four years old wanted. So of course, being, being great parents, we did everything we could to try to, you know, provide that, that material need for our daughter. To no avail. They were sold out everywhere. And Estelle, my wife, would, would call people and say, if any of you see a baby alive anywhere, please buy it and we'll pay you back. And I remember when our, when our friend showed up one day and said, look, I've got this baby alive. And we were so excited. And we gave her the money for it. We were, we were fired up. And, and, and on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, I can't remember which one it was in our house, we gave her this baby alive. And it was just the most amazing thing for about a day and a half. Anybody ever have that story? And then pretty soon it's like, what? This and I don't know what happened to it. We probably sold it in a garage sale for a dollar, you know, if that. And, and, you know, I think we could tell that story over and over again just for various things in our lives where we go, this is what I really want. And, and my heart's set on it. This is what I long for. This is what I know that I need. But then, invariably, we get those things many times in our lives only to discover that we've really misread our longing. We've misread our longing. And, and we've found ourselves longing for the wrong thing. And I think, really, ultimately, that is kind of what the season of Advent is all about. This misread longing. Have you ever misread a longing in your life? There's some scriptures in the Old Testament. There's a lot of them, actually, that talk about this longing that the Jews had and that the, the, the nation of Israel had. And here's what's, what's interesting. When I started going through the scriptures to find a lot of these texts, where I found them were, were in places where the nation of Israel was in, was in an immense amount of suffering. 
A place where they were exiled from their land. A place where they were lost. A place where they were oppressive. Because it seems to me that longing shows up the most in our lives. At least it's most enhanced when we're in a period of suffering. When something's not right with our world. We begin to look for other places and we have this longing. We experience this. And I don't think that's a bad thing, by the way. I think sometimes that's the way God gets our attention is through those moments of suffering or, or, or persecution or whatever you might call it. That's when our radar to the Holy Spirit kind of becomes a little more sensitive and God begins to show us, no, you have a longing. And I found some of these texts where, where God promises to meet this longing. I'm just going to read a couple of them to you. I, I love this one from Genesis 3.15. I love it. Where, where God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel, speaking to the, to the serpent. And then in Genesis 12, 3, the Lord says, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth, on the earth we bless through you. And Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. In Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12, In that day... The Lord says, I will restore David's fallen tent. A picture of the, the temple being destroyed and a picture of the nation being carried away. He says, I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. But then ultimately, there's a strange text like this in Psalm 118. Verses 22 and 23, it reads this. The, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So the, the Jews had this longing. They longed for the Messiah. They longed for the God's anointed one. And, and we as Christians celebrate that that promise was filled in the person of Jesus Christ. God's promise was fulfilled. But then somebody tell me why in the Gospels it does not say after Jesus came to the earth and they all lived happily ever after. Why didn't it say that? Why is there not this big coronation of Jesus and, and, and where, where all the, the religious leaders and the tribes of Israel are gathered together before, before the, the Messiah who has come and they all bow before him and say, thank the Lord God who has provided our deliverer, who has provided our anointed Messiah. Praise the Lord. Let us now live under his authority. Why didn't they do that? Why didn't that happen? Well, probably for the same reason that you and I don't do that. Probably for the, the same exact reason, even as believers, that we fail to recognize the Messiah in our lives and bow down before him and celebrate you see, like the Jews, we too have misread our longing for this Messiah. And ultimately, when we do that, we miss out on Jesus. Now, how could that possibly have happened to the Jews? I mean, think about it. These scholars, these biblical scholars in the Old Testament would have blown us away, right? I mean, we, we read books, we have, you know, our iPads, we have all of our, our, our library of resources, we have all these things that we, we go to school, we learn all these things. But the truth is, these men in, in the Old Testament that were, that were Pharisees and, and, and prophets and all this type of stuff, Sadducees, teachers, when it comes to straight up Bible knowledge of the scripture, they would leave us in their, in their dust. They had books memorized. 
They knew the law. So how could they miss the very thing that they were looking for? Because just like the Nazis and the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, they were digging in the wrong place, right? Dating myself again here. <laughs> See, God promised the Messiah. He certainly did. He, he didn't promise a code or a religious system. He didn't promise some sort of, of enlightenment that many of the other religions in the world were, were looking for. He promised a person. And what the Jews misunderstood was that Jesus, the Messiah, had not come for the reasons that they had thought the Messiah would come from. You see, the Jews had been carried away by other nations from their land that they had taken for granted. Their disobedience of the law and of God's, of God's work in their heart had led them into punishment and exile. And God had promised to restore them. But only after they would repent and turn back to God. But here's the thing, church, that the Messiah was not about. And this is the reason why I think the Jews completely missed him. And ultimately, I think it's the reason why many of us can miss him too. The Messiah ultimately was not about the Jews. He was not about the Jewish state. He was not about restoring the Jews to their land. The Messiah was not a means to their nationalistic end. The Messiah is, was the end. And that's where we miss it. That's where they missed it. You see, the Jews longed for a Messiah, but their preconceived expectations and the conditions that they looked toward that Messiah blinded them from the truth. See, they were far more concerned with what this coming Messiah was going to do for them as a people than what the Scripture said the Messiah would do through them as a people. And when you look at it like that, it's easy to see why they missed it. It's easy to see why Jesus disappointed them. I mean, let's face it. When you look at, at Jesus, show me in the scripture where Jesus talks about the land. Show me in the scripture where, where Jesus says that these borders are what's really important and us having this land that we control is what matters. That's not in the Bible, people. The only place that I see where Jesus really talks about the land is in a conversation with a non-Jewish person in John chapter 4 where she tries to make it about the land and he says to her at the well, he says, you know what, it really isn't about where you worship. There's a time coming when the true worshipers worship me in spirit and in truth. On this mountain and on every mountain. So he didn't care about the things they cared about. You see, Jesus claimed supremacy over the temple, the thing that was really ultimately, I believe, the Jews' idol. He claimed supremacy over that. The, the place and the building that they considered the most holy place, the most important thing about their faith, was, was this structure called the temple, and, and the inside of it, which was the place where their sins would be atoned for when the priest entered into the Holy of Holies. This was the thing that the Jews pointed to, to said, this was our salvation. And Jesus himself claimed supremacy over it which infuriated them. See, Jesus is superior to holy places. See, Jesus pointed to personal holiness as superior to some sort of nationalistic affiliation. He didn't care what nation you were from. He cared about what was going on in your heart. And ultimately, Jesus pointed to a personal belief and trust in him as superior to religious performance. And boy, that sure rubbed those guys the wrong way, didn't it? 
Because they had so much invested in their religious performance, didn't they? They had so much invested in the fact that they did everything the right way, they believed everything the right way, and they got to pick who was in and who was out. And now here comes this this humble man from, from Galilee, from Nazareth, which you saw in our text, no good thing can come from there, they thought. And he comes to them and he said, you know what, you think you've got it all figured out. You've heard it was said this way, but I tell you this way. Who is this man? Who has the authority to do something like that to these people? And because of their expectations, they were blinded to that. You see, the longing that the Jews felt came ultimately from their need to be restored unto the Lord. Not as a nation, but as a people. And indeed, that is the ultimate purpose of the Messiah. To restore what has fallen away. To repair the broken things. To restore the universe. And this was the Jews' longing that they had deep within them, but they misread their longing. The Jews thought that what they longed for was their land, was their prosperity, and was their place in the world. And our scripture text this morning, I, I love it because it shows us that the only people in that group that, that got to recognize the Messiah for who he really was were the people who weren't first thinking about what the Messiah was there to do for them. Did you catch that? Who was that? It was John the Baptist along with these disciples. These were the first people to recognize Jesus as the Messiah because they connected him to a purpose bigger and higher than themselves. So I love it when, when, when John the Baptist, who I believe was a scholar, I don't believe he was some, you know, hillbilly out in the backwoods grabbing catfish underneath some rock somewhere, you know. I, I believe John the Baptist, although he lived out in the wilderness and, and had all that going on, I believe he knew the texts. He knew the scriptures. I believe he was a man of the word of God. Because here's why. As he saw Jesus and then he, went, he goes away and, and he ponders these things. When he sees Jesus coming toward him, what does he say? He says, behold. The Lamb of God, who's ready to squash our enemies under his feet, who's ready to restore us to our rightful place in the world. No. He said, behold, the Lamb of, the, of, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of, of, of our people only. No. Who takes away the sin of the whole world. Do you, do you get how radical that is? Do you get how unheard of that type of preaching would have been to these Jewish people? They didn't care about anybody else but themselves. Gentiles had, 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 were, were created for one reason, according to the Jewish people, to keep hell hot. That was the purpose of Gentiles. And, and here comes John the Baptist claiming that, that here's the Messiah, the anointed one, and his purpose is to take away the sin of the whole entire world. And it was at that moment, really, that we were revealed that, that John gets it when he sees Jesus walking toward him. He connects Jesus to a purpose greater than himself. And then these other men do the same thing. And I love how, how Philip goes and says, look, we have found the Messiah. We found him. Thank you, brother. We found him. And, and, and why did they find him? Why were they able to see him? It was because they recognized what his purpose was. They recognized the longing that they had in their hearts. They recognized, more importantly, God's longing for this world and his promise fulfilled in Jesus. Have you connected Jesus' purpose to something greater than yourself? 
Have you done that? Do you truly get the fact that all this Advent stuff and all the, the scriptures about promises being fulfilled and all that stuff, that ultimately really it's, it's, it's not just about you and your life and your circumstances? Or does your faith in Jesus and in Christmas and in Advent and in hope and all that stuff, does it revolve ultimately around you? See, you'll never truly get that until you recognize that the gospel is about Jesus restoring the universe, not just changing your life and giving you a better job and a cuter girlfriend and, and a nicer car. When you truly tap into that, it's, it's like the blinders come off and you can see so much more of the beauty of God. You see so much more of the grandeur of the love of Christ. We have to break out of our box to see that Messiah has come because he actually cares about this world that we as Christians spend so much time avoiding, hiding from, talking down to, sitting in judgment of, and, and, and speaking you know, horrible of. We have to remember that the Messiah came for this world because God loves this world. It's only, it's only when you see the love that God has for this world that you recognize what it means to live on mission and gospel-centered mission. You see, if your view of the world as a church and as a Christian is that God hates them and he loves you and he's called you to be his shining example of those who he loves and he's called them just to be fire to keep hell hot, you haven't really changed a whole lot since the Jews, have you? You see, when you recognize the love that God has for this world and you connect the gospel to that, you can see how much more fulfilled you can be as a believer and as a missional church. See, whether or not you know it, you long for a Messiah too. You don't just long for a Messiah, you long for the Messiah. But our problem is, even as believers, that we don't understand our longing sometimes. And when we don't understand our longings, we seek to satisfy that longing that we have in our heart with, with false messiahs. And we chase false messiahs and we think, well, this is what I'm longing for. It's, it's that computer. Or this is what I'm longing for. It's that degree from that school. Or this is what I'm longing for. It's, it's that relationship or whatever it might be. When really all along you long for God. But we mistake that longing. Maybe it's for a need to be accepted by other people. So we live to make others happy. We, we live to win the approval of them. And how does that work out very well? Not very good in the long term, does it? We, we long for God, but mistake that longing for a need to control our situations. So we manipulate people. We bully people. We find a way to get our way. We long for God, but check this one out. We make, we, we, we make a mistake of... We misread that longing for the need to be religious. So we work hard to prove to everybody that our theology is sound and secure and perfect and without holes. We read the right books. We listen to the right preachers. We go to the right churches. We do the right things. We say the right things. We sing the right songs. We, we, we avoid sin, not out of love for God, but out of a desire not to, not to be looked down upon by another person. Or out of a desire to, to prove ourselves worthy. Or, or put God somehow or other people somehow in our debt. This, of course, is the anti-gospel. The gospel that believes that our salvation comes as a result of our moral performance. Or our correct understanding of something. Or 
some sort of religious fulfillment that we've, that we've performed. Or that if somehow we can quantify God into our system of theology or explain every mystery of, of, of who God is and how God works, that somehow that will make us more acceptable to God. See, the anti-gospel is not without a Messiah. It, it has one. And if you want to see that Messiah, you just need to look in the mirror. We need to be clear what we long for. We long for God. We can't help it. That's what we were created for. Do you understand that you were created to long for God? That you were given that longing as part of your heart, that, that yearning that as a human being you've always had, that has come to you from God. And it's not come because God has withheld something from you. It's God because God wants, it's there because God wants to give you something. But God just doesn't want to give you something. He wants you to experience that longing for it so that when you receive it, you can understand just how awesome it is. Think about that. I, I bought my kids their presents already for Christmas. I bought them weeks ago. But you know what I still like to do? Me and Stella will like to, what do you guys want? Right? Now, is that mean? Is that cruel? The kids are in the back going, well, it depends. You know, we like to do that, right? We like to say, well, what do you guys want? And then maybe we'll drop a little thing about, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you had this? Or, or, or wouldn't it be, we don't want to let them know, Right? So we'd be like, oh, man, you know what? Man, I saw this thing today. It was awesome. I saw this guy driving this Ferrari down the street. It was No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, you, we want them to experience that long because how many parents have ever given their kids something or someone something on Christmas and they're like, mm, all right. I knew I was getting it. Anybody ever cheat and look for their parents' presents or the, in the closet or whatever? You can? Come on now. You did that? All right. You know what? Y- you want the longing, don't you? That's most of the fun, isn't it? Because if you don't have the longing, the joy of receiving is not the same. And I think ultimately God does that for us. I think it's a gift, ultimately. I think it's a gift even for believers that there are times in our lives as, as believers, as we grow, as we keep maturing in Christ, that God still interjects that longing into us for things that even though we've already received, the presence already under the tree, right? Spiritually speaking. But God still wants to interject that longing into our lives because when he reveals it to us, when he opens it to us, it makes it that much more sweet. It makes it that much more wonderful. See, we all long for God. We were created to do that. It's just that we don't always recognize it. Even if we're in ministry, we misread that longing. I, I, I know I've done that. We, we, we think that our longing is to have a, a more successful or larger numerical, impactful, financially profitable ministry or whatever you want to say. We think that's what we long for. We, we think that we long for the validation of those who we admire. So we, you know, do what we can to live up to them and try to please them so they'll follow us on Twitter or something like that. We need to recognize the same thing that the Jews needed to recognize. That the longing ultimately comes from pers- the person of Christ. And I think our sanctification as believers really occurs when we understand and operate in the place where God alone is that which fulfills the longings of our heart. When Jesus becomes our end and not a means to our end, that's when we understand what God has for us. I think we can get that as believers, but let me, let me just say one other thing here this morning. I, I think this is true even for unbelievers. Now, I'm gonna, some of your theology is going to get jacked with here for a second. Just hang with me. I, I think unbelievers, I think this world... Longs for God. 
I think there's a longing deep within every human heart, whether they recognize it or not, that comes from God. Because the Bible tells us that we were all created in the image of God. But because of sin, that image has been, has been marred, has been disfigured, has been, has been put down. So we have these sinful wills, right? And I know we've read books and stuff. No, unsaved, unregenerate human beings will for sin. Right? I'm not talking about your will. I'm talking about something deeper than your will. There's something deeper than your will, people. It's your longing. It's the thing beneath your will that drives your will. The will is just where it gets misdirected, right? I have this longing deep within me, and I don't know what it is, so I think I'm going to fulfill it this way, so I will that, right? See, I know all about what it means to be corrupted, to be dead in trespasses in your sin, and I know that the Bible says that we're all sinful at birth, but as people with God's image, we have to remember That God's ultimate purpose and plan for all of us is that we come to know who he is. That longing would be fulfilled. And we'd know the truth. Remember what it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God is not willing that any should perish, but desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of this truth. Isaiah 45, verses 22, the Lord says to the world, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. He's showing the world the path to salvation is found in him and him alone. The cry goes everywhere. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And ultimately, remember these words of the angels during this Advent season concerning the birth of Christ. And the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The gospel is good news to the whole world. And being dead in your sins and trespasses the way that unbelievers are right now does not leave null and void the purpose for which God made them. Being dead in your sin means that your spiritual condition is hopeless unless God intervenes. See, you can't make yourself undead. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he's come to do that work. And make no mistake about it, that is his work. But at the same time, God's desire and call is that with a few scriptural examples, all of humanity would come to know That what they seek in their sin is really a misread longing for God. Does that make sense to you? Or does it push your thinking a little bit? I don't apologize if it does. See, I just get to fly in here and fly out, right? Justin will clean that up next week. See, I know know sometimes we get stuck in this, you know, our theology and systematic and formulas and all this kind of stuff. and, 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 And I don't really roll that way typically. See, I, I find scriptures not always to, to explain everything in the same little boxy way sometimes. And sometimes we, we come to this text and we have to do a little gymnastic exercise to make it not mean what it says. I just prefer to go, okay. God will figure it out. If you don't buy it, that's, that's okay. But understand this. The Bible at its core is a story about longing. That's what it is. God's longing for relationship and for love. And God is perfect. So therefore, 
His longing is perfect. Think about that. God has a longing too. His, his longing is found in the creation story when he seeks out his creation. Adam, where are you? His longing is found in the call of Abram, who later becomes Abraham, David. His longing is there in the rescue of the Israelites from Israel, where he says to, through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. That is a cry of longing. It's there in the wilderness. It's there in the law. It's there in the writings of the prophets toward the, the, the sinful, rebellious people who've, who've misread their longing. When God says to them over and over, return to me, repent, God pleads to a people over and over who has sold them out to idols of pleasure and world conquests. Kind of like us, right? See, God's longing is there as he returns the exiles to the promised land and says to them, let's start over. God's longing is demonstrated when he sends Jesus into the world. When, when as Jesus is, is spoken about in Philippians 2, who being in very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That is longing. You don't give up the, the, the best thing that you have for someone without a longing there. And that's what God showed us in Jesus. The longing of God would be displayed when Jesus cries out in Matthew 23, 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. And the longing of God would ultimately be put on display for the world to see. As he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross and suffer for your sins and for mine. And then as he enters in, as Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, into the holy of holies, not the fake one that's built on earth, that's a copy, but the real one that's in the kingdom of God in heaven. As Jesus walks into that, that true holy of holies, not with the blood of lambs and, and goats, but with his blood to make the perfect sacrifice for our sins once and for all, not to be redone every year by some priest who has to atone for his own sin first, but Jesus comes with his blood for our sins once and for all, a sacrifice that was so perfect and pleasing to God, it was able to make up for everything we've ever done. That's about longing, people. That's the story of the Bible. And I would present to you today that the longing of God lives on in and through us as we have been commissioned by the resurrected Jesus to go into this world and make disciples of every nation. Sacred City Church, you are here today because of the longing of God. Did you know that? See, some of you feel like you're here today because you long for something fine. But ultimately, you began because God longed for you. This church began because God had a longing. God looked at the Quad Cities and says, I, I, I need to reach these people in, in this particular way, in this particular method, in this particular place. And the fulfillment of his longing is this church. Do you see it? His longing to reach the world is what has produced you. You are an extension of the love of God and the longing of God. And the Advent is about Israel's longing for the Messiah. But that begins and ends with God's longing for his creation to recognize him, to love him and glorify him. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, 
If you haven't taken that step yet, if you haven't recognized that longing, if you've been chasing after everything else in this world because I long this today, I long that, and going after, let me tell you something. Dig below that longing for a moment in your mind. Look into your heart. Look into the surface even below your will. See, most of us never dig that deep, do we? We're just concerned with what we want. We never really dig down to find out why we want that and what's behind that. Look into that. What is it that you truly long for? I would say to you, that which you long for is not a thing or a status or an achievement, but rather it's a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is that which you seek when you go out to the bars and look for that hookup. Jesus is the one that you seek when you, when you buy that new gadget that's going to make your life perfect. Jesus is the one that you seek when, when, you, when you put that deposit in your 401k and think that life's going to be great now. You know how I know that is because even though we do all those things, they never ultimately satisfy. Jesus is whom you seek. Not that perfect human being that will meet all your needs and make you happy. Jesus is whom you seek, not the facade that comes from worldly security. Turn to God and away from your sin and recognize that everything below everything you chase is going to lead you back to your creator's purpose for you, which is to glorify God. So that's my gospel call to unbelievers. Now I have a gospel call to believers and here it is. Do the same thing. Repent from the longing to to live for others and impress other people. Repent from believing that your fellowship with God is is dependent on your your worldly success or your, your, your religious performance. You may say, how is he able to talk to us? Because I'm talking to myself. I have to repent daily of those longings. I still wake up in the morning and ask myself, what motivates me to do what I do? And, and the, the hardcore truth is, when I dig down deep below the will, there's oftentimes I find that, that the reason why I do is because I think I'm trying to do something for God. Or I'm trying to get something for me. Even in religion, even in ministry, even in a relationship with God. It's so hard, isn't it, church, when we dig down and we're always coming face to face with our pride or with our shame. You see, even in that exercise, we we never quite truly make it. That's why we continue to need the gospel every day. That's why even as believers, we need to be, as you say here, gospeling one another. Because it's so easy for us to think that the gospel is something that we we bought into years ago or whatever at a moment in time. And now we move on to to the more weighty things, right? Like learning the end times or trying to figure out, you know, whatever. Let me tell you something. There's nothing weightier than the gospel. That's not what Paul meant when he said, let us leave the elementary teachings to move on to deeper things. That's not what he had in mind. We need to continually be in the gospel. And I think for each of us, it boils down to the fact that our longing is for God. And here's the great news. God has has promised to fulfill that longing in the person of Jesus, whose own words look to you and me and say this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. It's a great promise, isn't it? That longing that you have is not something that God gives you and says, well, sorry. It's something that he promises. He promises to satisfy that longing. It's a great promise. So ask yourself this question. What does my life look like when I truly believe that promise? 
How will my life change when I recognize that all the longings I have point back to Jesus? I'm I'm not going to give you three happy hops to do all the great things I've told you today. There's no four-step process here. This is a thought process. This is a, a, a revealing of God to your mind and to your heart saying, what would my life look like if I recognize that those longings are ultimately for God? One, one way I think that we would change is we would glorify God more and more because God's desire is that we realize that all of our satisfaction is found in him. Think about that. You know, my greatest joy as a husband is, is not when, you know, my wife Estelle uh, has the house perfectly spotless or has the kids, you know, their homework's done when I get home or has an awesome dinner planned or, you know, does all these wonderful wifely things that she does. Okay, I should probably have her leave right now when I say this, but, uh, you know, those things are great. But ultimately, I'll be I'll be real with you. My my ultimate joy in her is not found in those things. My greatest joy as a husband is found in the moments when I see her completely satisfied with me as a husband. That's when I get my most joy, even in my weaknesses and imperfection, that she could be satisfied with me on any given level, given my failures, is something that produces a great joy in my life. Let's think about that for a second. Imagine how satisfied then she would be if I were perfect. Think about that. If I, if I, if I were perfect, if, if, if everything I did was, was an act of love, if everything I did was selfless, if everything I did showed strength and leadership and courage and, and, and sacrificial love, then how much more do you think her satisfaction would be multiplied? And then let's take that a step further. Then if her satisfaction were multiplied, how much greater would my joy be multiplied? You getting that? See, that satisfaction from us is what God is ultimately after because it, it produces great joy in him. When we are fully satisfied with who God is because of his perfection, because of what he's done with us, that produces unspeakable joy for God. And my prayer for all of us and for the Jews is that we would live in that fulfilled promise of the Messiah because, church, he has come. He has been given to us. There is nothing that should separate us from that unspeakable satisfaction, regardless of our circumstances in this life. We, like the Apostle Paul, who wrote about contentment, can discover this. In Philippians 4, he writes, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Even though if, if we had the life he had, we'd say we're in great need. For I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, you know that verse. It's not about scoring touchdowns or winning wrestling matches. It's about joy in Christ. And, and, and as we recognize the promise of Christ that has been found, that has been fulfilled, and that our longing in Christ can be and will be and should be satisfied, the, the satisfaction that produces in us produces the great joy in God. And I pray today that you would come to that satisfaction this Advent season. 
I pray that whatever you get under the tree or whatever happens in your life, whether you get the things you want or whether you don't, that you'd recognize that the ultimate longing of your heart has been fulfilled. I pray that every person whom God has created would live in that promise. And we look today toward when creation, which the Bible tells us has been groaning and longing, awaiting the children of God to be revealed, will find its satisfaction in the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we are, we are thankful, God. Thankful, Lord, that you put up with us, that you accept us, God, despite our failures, despite our continual runnings away, Lord, to the things this world convinces us we need. Lord, our, our, our prayer this morning is that we would be thoroughly convinced that you are what we need. And that our lives would reflect that. Father, I pray for those here this morning who have yet to, to take that step of faith to respond to your call, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would show them that what lies deep beneath even, beneath even their will is something that you can fulfill, God. And Lord, for those of us who, who walk with you and, and love you and, and follow you, Lord, that you do the very same thing. And God, that you would create within us a desire to spread that truth to spread your love, to further your longing into this world. We know, Lord, that there is nothing you withhold from us. Father, there's nothing you withhold from this world. I thank you here today, God, for, for a sacred city, God. I thank you for this church, Lord, that you have planted here to be a light in a dark world, Lord. I thank you, God, that, that this is a body, Lord, who is concerned first and foremost with your longing in this world and reaching out in, in mission, God, not in trying to create some awesome spectacle of human achievement, Lord, but to, to meet the, the longing that you have, God, to reveal yourself to this world. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this church. I pray that you'd bless its leadership. I pray, God, that you'd provide abundantly everything that they need, Lord, every need they have, God, and every heart, Lord, that is, that is here, God, would be joined together in unity to follow you, Lord. But God, we don't pray this prayer for its own sake, Lord. We pray it that this city might be reached through what you do here, Lord. Father, that's why we seek the blessing. So Lord, do your work in our lives. Give us that satisfaction, Lord, that we may return it unto you in unspeakable joy. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.